Chapter Twenty Two of Wise and Otherwise. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wise and Otherwise by Pansy. Chapter Twenty Two. Ye are wise in Christ. To this very earnest and not very wise address, Mr. Tresevant made a frigid bow. I am exceedingly obliged to you for your disinterested kindness in coming to me, he said, with very cold, measured words. But your suggestion comes too late for me to give it due consideration, as I have already passed my word to Mrs. Roberts that I will be present at her little entertainment, and I never break my word. Besides, it is but right that I should inform you that I never really pay any attention to this style of gossip that is always afloat through a town. I have found it the wisest and pleasantest to preserve the even tenor of my way without regard to what people may chance to say about me. I might as well be the subject of their tongues as any one. And really one grows perfectly indifferent to this sort of thing after a while, that is, if one happens to have matters of more importance with which to occupy the mind. Now such style of talk is particularly exasperating to a sincere mind, because of the semblance of truth and good sense that floats provokingly through the mass of nonsense. It sounds so altogether reasonable and sensible for people to be above the gossip of foolish tongues. It is such a different thing to give heed to the talk sufficiently to be sure that you are not rolling unnecessary stumbling-blocks in people's way. It is so easy a thing to set all the talk down under the general head of gossip and turn away from it in calm superiority. Mr. Tyndall's momentary vexation had passed away, but he began to feel grieved and hurt. I did not mean to trouble your ears with foolish gossip, he said in a constrained voice. I thought you understood me as referring to some of our own people, Christian parents, who are really in trouble and who need your help. Christian parents have certainly a right to do as they please in this matter. If they do not see fit to give their consent to the presence of their children at the entertainment, they have perfect liberty to keep them away. Only, I trust you will pardon me for saying, that they must be willing to accord the same right of choice to their pastor. I have been very much in the habit of following out my own views without regard, as I said, to the talk of any class of people. I shall do so in this case. While I thank you for your frankness and honor your motives, I will compliment you by being equally frank, and assuring you that it is my present intention to spend next Wednesday evening with Mrs. Roberts. I have, as I said, passed my word, and shall not break it, unless something in Providence prevents my being present. I presume you have all seen people who have appeared to be much more composed and at ease than they really were. The truth is, Mr. Tresevant was in an inward fume. No sooner had he bowed his guest from his presence, than he tramped up and down the room like an enraged animal in a cage. This was not his first hour of reasoning about the subject in question. I regret to say that he was trying to argue himself into a frame of mind that he was really very far from believing. On this bewildering and much-talked-of question of amusements, he had supposed himself to be quite decided, and had not Mrs. Roberts, with her incessant repetition of Dr. Mulford's name, gotten the better of his wisdom, there would have been no trouble whatever. So it had been all the more provoking to listen to Mr. Tyndall's arguments, and feel that if he only chose to allow himself to do so, he could argue with them very well. And yet that is not precisely just to him either. People who are self-blinded cannot be expected to realize their own positions. This bewildered man did not. He imagined that he had somewhat modified his views, 
that under existing circumstances it was expedient for him to do so, but it was exceedingly disagreeable to be called in question for the change. The contemptible nuisance, he said, in his rage, why does he want to come whining around me, taking my time, and bothering his brains in trying to argue with me? I wish people would mind their own business. Such a meddling community I never conceived of before. All emanating from one particular quarter, too. I wouldn't be afraid to venture considerable that that pattern, Mrs. Sales, is at the bottom of this interference. In ordinary states of mind, Mr. Tresevant was too much of a gentleman, and too much of a Christian, to indulge in such an ebullition of wrath. Indeed, he repented of this in less than half an hour, even though the chairs and sofas were the only eyewitnesses of it, except, indeed, that never-failing, never-closing eye, which it is very strange we are all so apt to forget when we say, nobody saw me, nobody knows it. The clergyman went presently to his own room, and reduced his wife to the very borders of insanity, by arguing the other side of the question with her, in a way that would have amazed and delighted Mr. Tyndall. I did no sort of good, that gentleman said, after detailing the result of his morning visit to an interested audience in Dr. Douglas's parlor, said audience consisting of his wife and Mr. and Mrs. Sales, besides their host and hostess. These six people contrived to spend many evenings together. In fact, I am afraid I did positive harm. I seemed to vex him unaccountably. It was a decided mistake, good people, to send me on such a mission. I am not suited for it. Perhaps you will kindly mention the person who is under existing circumstances, sarcastically remarked Mr. Sales. For my part, I think you managed very well. I'm afraid I should have pulled the hair of the reverend gentleman or boxed his ears or something. Jerome, murmured the soft-toned, troubled voice of his wife. Well, my dear, I mean figuratively speaking, of course. That is, I mean there would have been a strong inward tendency in that direction, which I trust I should have had the grace to resist. But when a gentleman condescends to act like a rude boy, as our pastor evidently did, there is no accounting for results. No, said Mr. Tyndall thoughtfully, he was courteous in his manner, though his words were sometimes sharp, and I was continually haunted with the feeling that he didn't mean what he said. What a tiresome sort of world this is, anyway, Mrs. Douglas said, sitting back in her low rocker with an air of resigned despair. With the natural perversity of human nature, the very people whom one would expect to be pleased with the existing state of things profess to be shocked, so that in reality Mr. Tresevant cannot have the comfort of pleasing anybody. Mrs. Arnold and her friends affect to be as much astonished as anybody. A little bit queer in a clergyman to attend, you know. Dear me, I hope he won't consider it his duty to wear a mask. And then she went off into one of her absurd laughs. Julia, Mr. Tresevant would certainly consider us as gossiping, her husband said gravely. It is true, though, interposed Mr. Sales. I have been struck with that very feature today. Both saints and sinners seem to be agreed for once in their lives. Even the boys in the factory have talked the matter over, our Sabbath school boys, you know, some of the wildest of them growing hilarious over it, exaggerating the entertainment in every possible manner, and giving Mr. Tresevant an absurd position in it. Some of them do it for the purpose of teasing Forbes, and some of them actually believe every word of it. I heard poor Forbes struggling hard to smooth matters over, and do honor to his pastor and the truth at the same time. And, coming up town, 
Judge Wardell hailed me to inquire if I were going to attend the Orthodox Theater next week, and if it were to be opened with prayer. He said he heard our pastor was to be prominent in the performance. The thing is actually town talk. I never saw anything fly around so. How could it have become so general? Mrs. Roberts and Mrs. Arnold have taken care of that, Mrs. Tyndall said, with the air of one who knew whereof she affirmed. And yet I suppose it is to conciliate those very people that he is putting himself in this unpleasant position, Mr. Tyndall said indignantly. What a shame! Mr. Sale shrugged his shoulders expressively. If the doctor were not at one elbow and my wife at the other, to look unutterable things at me, I should suggest that his object was not so much the conciliation of one class of people as the discomfiture of another class, he remarked solemnly, and added, but as it is, I think it best to preserve a discreet silence. Dr. Douglas was slowly pacing the length of the room, apparently in deep thought. He paused at last in front of the mantel, and leaning his elbow on it, rested his head on his hand, the old troubled attitude that his wife remembered so well. Isn't this talk that we are having worse than useless, provided nothing comes of it but talk? His voice was grave and sad. What on earth can come of it but talk? queried Mr. Sales. We can't order our pastor what to do and what not. We cannot even advise with him as Christian brethren, it seems. And it is very evident that we can't keep his actions from becoming the subject of public gossip. What is there left to do? There is one thing, Dr. Douglas answered earnestly, and instantly there was a lightening up of Mrs. Sales' face. She had caught his meaning. Yes, she said earnestly. I had been thinking of that. I'll be hanged if I'm sharp enough to see it, Mr. Sales said emphatically. What do you propose, a straitjacket? We can pray, Dr. Douglas said, simply and earnestly. A sudden silence fell on the group. Evidently but two of them had remembered that wonderful resource always at hand. It is like the never-closing eye, a power so easily forgotten. Mr. Sales was the first to recover himself. You are right, doctor, he said gravely. It is a resource that we should have tried first of all. I, personally, am too apt to forget that God rules in these minor matters as well as in the great affairs of life. We are all too apt to forget it, the doctor answered. Now, dear friends, I propose we act in this matter as become those who profess to believe in an overruling providence. I know we have none of us been talking about it simply for the sake of talking. We are all grieved. We all feel that this is not for the glory of God and the good of our dear church. We have done what we could to prevent it without any apparent result. We began backward, perhaps, as Jerome says. Now let us go to the great head of the church and leave the matter in his hands. He can prevent this thing which seems to us so unfortunate. He has his cause more at heart than we possibly can. It will help us to pray for our pastor. I think, perhaps, we have been remiss in our duty to him in this respect. I have nearly an hour before it will be necessary for me to go out professionally. I propose that we adjourn to my office and make it an hour of prayer. What say you all? I am heartily in accord with the idea, Mr. Sales said promptly. I propose also that we remember to pray for ourselves, that we, or at least I, speaking for myself, may be able to put on more of that charity which hopeth all things and thinketh no evil. I, responded Dr. Douglas with energy, I feel the need of that prayer. I am sorely tempted in that very direction. Then they all went to the office. There was no embarrassment about this proceeding. 
it was not a novel thing to them. These six people had not met together so constantly to talk over everything that concerned or interested them, without going often together to their common father. The office was a cozy little spot. Mrs. Douglas had given free indulgence to her nice and dainty taste in fitting it up. There was an outer office for professional and business calls, fitted up in business-like manner, oilcloth on the floor, and high-backed leathern armchairs, rows of bookcases on either side, filled with solemn-looking medical works. One end occupied with a great army of bottles and boxes, shining through their glass doors. But an unpretending little door in one corner led away from all this business-like dignity into the quietest of green-carpeted, green-curtained rooms. Into this inner office none but intimate friends penetrated. It was here that the busy doctor snatched his few moments of unprofessional reading, or took a bit of rest on the large old-fashioned green lounge, while his wife read to, or talked at him, as she sometimes termed it. Hither also came the baby occasionally, to pull her father's hair, or ride on his slippers, if he happened to be so fortunate as to have gotten them on before the office bell rang. But what more than anything else had consecrated this room was the atmosphere of prayer. Many and many a time, either alone or with his wife, or occasionally with a professional friend, had this Christian doctor wrestled in prayer for the pain-racked body of some patient. Many a time had he gone out from that room, strung with a sense of answered prayer, and the town had marveled afterward over some wonderful cure. On the evening in question the petitions were unusually earnest. It certainly would have warmed Mr. Tresevant's heart, could he have heard them for himself, his wife, his influence, his church. As for Abby, her heart went out toward Mrs. Roberts, not only that she might not do injury to the cause of Christ, but that she might not injure her own soul. I am glad you remembered her, Mrs. Tyndall said, as they talked familiarly together between the prayers. I believe I was feeling too thoroughly provoked with her to remember to pray for her, but one cannot feel so after trying to pray. The little mantel clock was striking when Mr. Sales concluded his prayer. I must go, Dr. Douglas said, as the sound reached his ear. Thank you all. I have been helped, whatever the Lord may see fit to send an answer to our special pleading. Don't let us forget to renew these petitions in our closet prayers to-night and afterward. Julia, don't wait for me. I fear I shall be late. Good night, all. And the busy doctor went his way to visit houses where they were waiting eagerly for him, and hung anxiously on his every look. How blessed for them and for him that he came to them armed with prayer. End of chapter 22 Recording by Tricia G.